We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome, everybody. We are the Pettiest Bills Podcast. I'm not bright enough for all of that. Drew Gator. Because I thrive off negativity, it's just more hackery from a charlatan and a carpetbag. The Rock Pile Report. Oh, my blood pressure's rising. He gave him Coors Banquet beers out of spite. The Pettiest, Hardest Drinking Bills Podcast. I'll go to hell and back just to prove a point. to another edition of the Rock Pal Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill, season ticket holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we are now three days into a new calendar year, Chris. Does 2024 feel any different than 2023? No. No. I feel like that's everybody's experience, You right? know how I know this? How? We have the same president. <laughs> You can't help but slip in like something that's just going to viscerally upset at least half of our listeners. I love just uh, I just take that wheel and steer it obviously to the right what? In, into well, a wall. All I can think of, guys, for any of those for those of you who have uh, ever seen the show Letterkenny, Letterkenny Problems, they uh, there's an episode or a series of episodes featuring a character called Hard Right Jay. Chris is hard right, Jay. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> it's down to the hair and everything. Like, you really are hard right, Jay. It just makes me so happy knowing that I can make that analogy, and most people understand it. Yeah. Final season of Letterkenny actually just came out. I still haven't watched any of it. I got to get a subscription to Hulu so I can watch it. Or you jailbreak a fire stick, and then you do whatever the hell you want. Um realistically you it's it's a great show my wife and i are about to start re-watching it from scratch so that we can catch the new season kind of like in the flow of all of the tv shows but the thing i realized is now like a 38 year old man i don't watch any fucking tv i don't watch any actual tv i don't watch anything outside literally outside of sports so this was this here. This was a thing. So uh, 
my uncle had just passed away, and my parents were paying for him to have Xfinity cable. Mm-hmm. So we were just using the login to watch cable. So I don't think that there's going to be cable much longer that my parents are paying for because my uncle is no longer with us. So now I'm going to have to start doing the uh, streaming subscriptions. Like, and I'm only going to do it September to January because that's when I watch the most TV because all sports that are worth a shit are in play, hockey and football. Yeah. So I I did get a uh, one-month sub for Sling TV so I could watch the uh, playoffs that, with the college, which, I mean, not to go off on a tangent, but to go off on a tangent, college football, they're dumb. <laughs> What are you doing starting the guy with that haircut? What are you doing starting a playoff game at nine o'clock at night? Oh yeah, no, I that's didn't like make, the I imagine didn't survive that. imagine an AFC East or the AFC championship game kicking off at nine o'clock at night and it's gonna end at midnight. The NFL's not dumb enough to do that. I get it, it's Texas and Washington and they're playing in different time zones, but a majority of people live on the East Coast. They got to, like, they have to fix it. I, I forget, I saw some pundit saying that, I think it was Joel Klatt, college football should end on New Year's Day. And the title game should be the Rose Bowl. Because of the set, like, the sunset, the sun setting in uh, Pasadena, perfect landscape for college football to end. And I'm very much appreciative that... Uh, Alabama decided to run one of the dumbest fucking plays I've ever seen on fourth down. I saw <clears throat> I saw the perfect tweet. It's I actually retweeted it at Rockpile Report on Twitter. You can find us. I might go pin it after this because it was that good. And it was just they say it was Tommy Reese, you know, with two timeouts left, you know, calling the final plays of Alabama's season with two timeouts left. And he literally, it's a video of a guy who, big, big old guy, who in a grocery store just walks up, hits the inner, like one of the phones, Chris, that's like next to the, like the freezer section. <clears throat> but you've seen those, like Walmart has telephones throughout the store. Picks it up, hits the intercom button and just rips ass into the phone. Just cuts a fresh one. And then hangs the phone back up. It's like, yep, that's exactly what Tommy Reese did. How do you call a quarterback draw from six yards out from the end zone? <laughs> that's your final play? Dumb. It's- I mean, I, look, dude, next Monday night, Michigan-Washington national title game, it is going to be so weird not seeing somebody from the Southeast. I know. In that title game. And I hope Washington... Wins. No, but one, one because the Pac-12 is dissolving. Pac-12 dissolving, and I'm not sure if they've ever won a football title. And then third thing, why I want Washington to win? Fuck Potter. <laughs> You're also, you know, Doug's also going to get hurt by that. But I can appreciate the pettiness. Speaking of pettiness, the Buffalo Bills just sent Bill Belichick packing for maybe the last time. And it felt real good watching it happen. Here's our Week 17 recap, guys. Bills 27, Patriots 21. Stats of the game, 
Chris, if you want to scroll down to our quarterback uh, friends here, and I can kind of read through this real quick. Stats of the game, Bailey Zappi, 16-26 for 209, no touchdowns, three interceptions, three sacks, a 47.3 passer rating. That sounds terrible. Josh Allen, 15 of 30 for 169, no touchdowns, one interception, one sack, and a 53.3 rating. The quarterback play in this game was atrocious. Both offenses started the game with a combined 0 for 8 on third down. Dalton Kincaid and Stephon Diggs matching four catches on seven targets. Kincaid had two more first downs and 61 more total yards. Khalil Shakir, 75% of receptions in this game went for first downs. He's now a whopping 70% on the season. 23 of his 33 catches have drawn a first down. Wide receiver Demario Douglas for the Patriots, five missed tackles forced, 31 total yards. Running back Kevin Harris for the Patriots led the team in receiving yards with 54 yards. Head coach Bill Belichick. First ever 12-loss season and the lowest win percentage of his entire career. Why is it so easy to hate that guy's guts? His press conferences are annoying. I think it's everything. I think everything about the guy just screams curmudgeon. So where people are usually like... Like when you see a coach get fired or you see a coach who kind of wears out his welcome and gets let go... There's always a sense of like, I don't know, like you get it, but then also you look at the coach and you go, well, you know, he's just, he was trying. He tried something. They like Arthur Smith for the Falcons. When he gets, or not Arthur Smith, Jesus Christ. Um, wait, it is Arthur Smith, isn't it? Coaches the Falcons. Coaches the Falcons. Arthur Smith. When he gets, will be fired Monday. When he gets fired next week. There's going to be people who go, well, you know, it wasn't all bad. And he did this and he did that. And you can find some sympathy for these people because you understand what it is. A lot of us have had that experience of being fired from a job. But not Bill Belichick. I can't bring myself to find any warm and fuzzy for this dickhead. And I'm happy it's happening. It could, Chris, it couldn't happen to a nicer person. That his last season in, like, on the Patriots sideline, allegedly, allegedly. is going to be the worst thing he's ever done. <coughs> and even better, it's all his fault. It's 100% his fault. Now, if we want to start off, we got to start with the tailgate. If that was truly our last tailgate, I can say it was one of the better ones. Whole slew of new faces showed up. We had to meet a lot of people we didn't know. Yeah. Guys from out of town, people from Texas, people from Florida. The hospitality of the people who seek us out and just want to hang out with it. Like, hang out at the tailgate, experience what this is. I'm happy that we can put on an afternoon that's fun for these people because sometimes I do catch myself and I'm like, am I overselling this? Like, no one gets lit on fire. There's nothing, I mean, if you want to see it, you can walk the 50 feet over to uh, Hammer's lot. Or the grass lot on the other side of the stadium. There's nobody getting lit on fire. Uh, nobody's filleting anybody else for a jersey. Because we're in our fucking 30s. Nobody's getting into drunken fist fights. It's just a bunch of guys standing around eating good food and 
drinking what looks to be responsibly, but really it's not. <laughs> that's what the tail, that's what the tailgate is. It's everybody looking like they're doing adult things while drinking just a little bit on the reckless side. Cause that's my crowd, right? Chris, that's our crowd. Those are our people. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. You know, Cam showed up and made this short rib ragu, Iman's wings and legs. There were your dip. Bill's Helmet Bar showed up and made Canadian bacon sliders. ESPN was there. Oh, yeah. I don't know if we got on. I don't care. The fact that the guy was in there a lot. Talking to us. So, <laughs> Sunday night football against the Giants. <coughs> NBC came around and was doing the same thing ESPN was doing. The people from NBC were a bunch of dickheads. <laughs> because I saw the guy walking through the lot with the camera. Obviously, I like production. I started asking him about the equipment that he had and the process of, you know, you're filming all this shit. You know, how soon do you get it back to your producers and how is it selected to be used? And the people from ESPN could not have been nicer with my dumb production questions that I was asking them. And I did give them some uh, Canadian bacon sliders, but they could not have been nicer. So I don't know if anybody saw us on ESPN Countdown, uh, send us the video. <laughs> I have a face for radio, Chris. I'm guessing they didn't. Put That's us why on you the were in the back. I was up front. <laughs> yes, because you are the shining visage of what people want in an NFL fan. Holy shit. What I love is that Bill's Helmet Bar had so much fun, they forgot their famous Bill's Helmet Bar flag. Chris, we have it. We have the flag. All right. We sell it. No, you know what we have to do? We have to make a video. Well, we <laughs> there there must be a flag raising. Yeah, we can do that. We're going to coordinate something with Blake. I think I think we could do something pretty funny here. And uh, you, like, look, look at this. Everybody showed up, everybody ate, everybody drank. A certain birthday girl drank so much she uh, had to go take a nap in the back of the car. <laughs> uh, if that's not a party, Chris, I don't know what is. I don't know what is. I'm going to have to kick her out of my wedding. <laughs> I'm surprised. <laughs> I'm sur if, she sh if she was willing to show up. Right, if she was willing to show up, Iman could just tell her to walk home because it's close. Uh, but she is a woman, <clears throat> so her sense of direction's not that good. God, I can't wait for her to just fight you. <laughs> this is this right? If it, do you see this guy? I love him, but you understand why people hate him. For a fight, for what could be a final tailgate at New Era, it was everything I could have asked for. So thank you to everybody who came out. It was a great time. I had a blast. The bourbon that we got. Lackawanna Vince gave me a bourbon. Mm -hmm. uh, the guy's name that we can't figure out. Sorry. Canine Skull gave us... Uh, I think it was Kevin, but I'm... I was also intoxicated. So. I'm not good with names. I'm good with faces. My favorite thing is when you... All I know is... I you, still you know don't what I'm good for is a chief. I'm good for a hey bud or hey chief. Hey, bud, what's up? Because I recognize your face. Maybe I don't know your name, but I know I know you. I'm coming up on my three-year anniversary at work. I still don't know people's names on 
in my department. That's how bad it is. Canine Skull gave us a, uh, I think it's called Rock and Rye, which is like a, they're known for being like the best pre-made old-fashioned in a bottle. It was so it, good. It was good. You could get a little bit of honey, a little bit of orange. I think there's almost, uh, I think there's less than half of that bottle left. Yeah, we had a good time the, with that. My my bar area. We had a good time with that. In fact, such a good time that, uh, although that was a sober thing, I got home, got home after the game, pulled in, we ran inside my house, we watched the end of the game, and then you left, and I went outside to unpack the truck. My wife and kids come home and pull in the driveway as I'm standing at the tailgate of my truck, and it startled me, just startled me, them pulling into the driveway right next to me, and I... Like like a baby fell backwards off the tailgate of my truck and landed directly on my butt and bruised the hell out of my tailbone. <laughs> nice. Every time I cough now, I feel it. I'm just like, Jesus Christ, this is what getting old is like. Chris, what's what's the tailgate? It's like a distance of three feet. Yeah. I wonder how long this is gonna hurt for. You wanna go to physical therapy with me on Friday? No, I'm not going to physical therapy. What am I doing? <laughs> I'm going. I've been going for a couple weeks. I'm trying, or really almost two months. I'm trying to get an MRI. I'll tell you what. It's moments like this where I see, like, I see these people who dive through the flaming tables at tailgates, and I go, buddy, I fell on my ass off the tailgate of my truck, and it's almost a week later, and it still hurts like I just did it. I don't know what you people have to prove, but you're idiots. This is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. Now, as far as the game itself goes, I have seen a lot of people bemoaning the game flow and the overall execution and all of the stuff that was going on in this game. I have to ask a question. What did you think was going to happen when the number 10 defense and the number four scoring defense in the entire NFL hosts the league's worst scoring offense with a top six defense? What did you think you were going to get? Fireworks? No, what you're going to get is an ugly, shitty football game. Both teams did something to keep the other offense off balance, and ultimately, the team with the better quarterback won the football game. Like, anyone who's mad about the lack of style points, who are like, oh, well, we didn't do this, I hate to tell you this. Welcome to what the playoffs are going to be. Because every team in the NFL playoffs is going to have at least a mediocre defense that can sometimes be schemed up to play well. Like, imagine you're playing a team like Cleveland. Who wants to see Cleveland in the playoffs? It's like, oh, your offense somehow still scores points, and yet also you have the most effective defense? They're sleepers in the AFC to go all the way. Ideally, you'd like to see them take out the Ravens. It's it's one of the dumbest concepts where you go, this team has cycled through how many quarterbacks this season, and now Joe Four. Flacco? Four. Joe Flacco, is it, and they're going to play a fifth one uh, this weekend. They benched Joe Flacco already. Wouldn't DTR play? No, I think he's hurt. I'll have to Google that. Go give that a Google. Make sure I'm not lying. But all I know is, this is what it's going to be in the AFC this year in the playoffs. 
if we make it, you're going to see more football that ends up a lot like this. Defense is like, there's a reason that that Kansas City Chiefs divisional round loss for the Bills is a like all-time game in NFL history. It's because that's not how playoff teams play each other. Usually what you get is a lot of what happened in last year's AFC Championship game with the Cincinnati Bengals and the <clears throat> the Bengals and the Chiefs where Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes I think dueled to 20 points. Jeff Driscoll starting for the Browns. Bang. It's going to be a collection of splash plays. A couple on offense, a couple on defense, some miscues, and then a whole lot of detritus for both teams. And you just hope that your team can get three up on the other guy. That's it. That's the playoffs. We're in it. We've been in it. Josh Allen has said it himself. We've been playing playoff football for a while now because our back has been against the wall. I'm happy to see I'm happy to see that they see it that way. Because win or go home is what this is, and whether you win it going away or whether you win it ugly, you just gotta win it. Right? L. Davis, just win, baby. That's what the that's what this is gonna take, and that's what they did. Now there's something that comes out of this that I think needs to be talked about. Yeah, you know, th- there was a tweet from Howard Simon about Diggs and his usage and his snap counts and his production and how the team needs to figure this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I've got a problem with this. Because it's something I've been alluding to, and now I'm just going to come out and say it because I saw it with my own two eyes. I personally think that the team is being cute here with the injury reporting. And before you balk, hear me out. This team has never really been above boards, unless it's forced to, about injury stuff. I look at a guy like Jerry Hughes. Jerry Hughes never missed a game for the Buffalo Bills. I think he missed one in his entire career here. He was an Iron Man for us. He would go whole seasons without being on the injury report. And then as soon as the season ended, okay, he had ankle surgery and wrist surgery, and uh, this player had a core muscle surgery. Do you remember the AFC Championship game in Kansas City, Chris? No. You don't? No. You don't remember us getting beat up? Well, I know 13 seconds. No, 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 no. But, but the, this has to do with Jerry. 
Okay, this has to do with Jerry Hughes. No, I don't remember. No, no, no. no. What I'm asking is 2020. Do you recall the 2020 AFC title, 2020-2021 AFC title game where the Bills went into Kansas City and got pretty much pummeled? Yeah, I I try to forget things like that. Yeah. In that game, everybody was healthy. There was no there was no designations. There was. Turns out, after the game, they go, "Oh." Cole Beasley had a fractured leg, <laughs> but he was trying to play on it. Stefan Diggs had a hernia that required surgery, but they let him go out there and play on it, and it wasn't really anywhere on the injury reports. <clears throat> I think that's why they caught so much flack after the loss, and then when you realize, hey, two of their best weapons are just brutally injured. These are things that this franchise has done for a very long time. And so it's it's almost funny to me. I was telling Ken McCusick from Ravens Film Study last night about how for all of the finger-pointing our fan base does at other teams, for, oh, you did that, you broke the rules, the Bills are notorious for kind of skirting and getting cute with injury reporting designations, which if he, you know, it's the opposite of the Bill Belichick thing, where Belichick will just list every single player on his team as questionable. We prefer not to disclose things. In that way, I very much believe that both Allen and Diggs are more hurt than anyone's giving them credit for. For Diggs, it's, you know, it starts with the declining snap count. You can see it over the last couple months. In fact, if I pull up my DMs with Ken from last night, I sent him the snap chart. At the beginning of the season, Stephon Diggs was playing 84, 87, 76, 87, 93, 99, 95, 98. He was, he was, on the field all of the time. The last three weeks he's played, and this is where I think it starts. You, know, you come out of that, you come out of that Philly game. He plays ninety-two percent. He plays seventy-nine percent. All of a sudden, his snap count the following week drops down to forty-six percent against the Cowboys. Now, some of that's because of the game script and the fact that we were just running the ball down their throats. But some of that's because it's like Chris. Why wouldn't you want? your best player on the field. Yeah, you need him. Why would he play less than 50% of the snaps? The next week, he played 60. This week, he played 65. So it's it's increasing. But then you see things. Like when he takes that catch and run and he weaves through traffic and he does all these things and then it gets called back for a holding and you watch him come up and you see the way he walks off the field immediately. Like, it doesn't matter what's happening next. Now, if anything, they need you, because I think it's going to be second long now. He's slowly shuffling his way off the field. This is a player who's not 100%. I've done that walk, where it's not a full stride, it's a shuffle. I don't know what the problem is. But then you think back to that deep shot that Allen almost hit, and you go, man, two years ago they would have hit that. Earlier in the season, they would have hit, they would have hit that throw. Why is the timing off? One or both of them has problems. Now, I firmly believe you. Know, and then you know, there's the article, the today in the um, the Athletic. Tim Graham wrote a piece about Stephon Diggs and just this idea that why is Stephon Diggs running the shortest routes of his career? Why are Khalil Shakir, Gabe Davis, and Trent Sherfield getting more offensive snaps? To hear the Bills tell it, just because. 
Just because. Chris, no coach is dumb enough to expect us to believe that, right? 100%. I'm telling you, he's playing through something. I don't know what. He's toughing it out, but it's not. Like, this is, doesn't seem like a thing that's going to get better. And so in this way, they're going to try to massage his usage. They're going to try to use him differently. They're going to use him more around the line of scrimmage because they know he's probably not going to be able to get loose down the field. And you saw how the timing was off where he needed to get to a spot. He just wasn't fast enough to get there. I, that's it. He's a warrior. Regularly has played through injuries in his career. I would be willing to bet at least an individual paycheck that this is happening again and that after the season's over, he will have some sort of surgical procedure to fix something. And the crazy thing is he's still getting pretty good separation because he's still good. He's just not explosive anymore. And then I look back at this and I think about Ellen's shoulder injury. And I saw a tweet from somebody who banged up bills, Kyle Trimble, knows, and the thigh doctor, I believe he calls himself from over at uh, Bill's Fanatics or Buffalo Fanatics, whatever they are now. Um, put out a tweet that was essentially like, hey, I can't say anything right now. But when the season's over and fans find out exactly the injury Josh is dealing with in his non-throwing shoulder, they're going to be surprised that we've accomplished what we've accomplished. And I don't doubt that because, Chris, remember when he was on the he was on the injury report for a while with that shoulder injury? Yeah. I feel like there's like these two, these are two guys who are alphas. They're not going to quit. They don't they're not going to shrink from things and I think that they very much per the team is them. They are the personality of this team. Whether it's on the field in the locker room, all these things. And then you question you go, oh, "Why is Josh missing the the ball's not coming off my hand right?" I think that's an overly simplistic thing for him to say in a press conference, but it it's an answer and it'll get him to the next question. I think the reality is that Josh Allen's also more injured than he's willing to let on, and he's going to try to play through it. It's commendable, because we, Chris, we don't have another answer. <laughs> There's no, Diggs and Allen are both one of one. You don't replace them. But anyone yelling about it, well, you got to fix this, and you have to look at what's happening here and realize that these guys have taken a beating and they're getting older. And that this attrition that's affected all these other football teams. You know, look at Miami right now. Miami's two best wide receivers are banged up. Their best running back is banged up. Everyone at this point in the season is has something going on. Allen and Diggs are fighting it. And I can't wait to find out what it is. But realistically, we should be applauding what they can do and the fact that we're still winning football games with them out there on the field. Because they're at least giving it what they have, right? Yeah. Now, with that said, one of the things that came out of this game for me is that the, our ancillary weapons really shine. Like, we know that Josh and Diggs are the straws that typically stir the drink for you on offense. We also know that James Cook has emerged as a weapon for the Bills. And as such, the three of them will garner a lot of game planning and attention from opposing defensive coordinators. When you take a look around and you say, okay, maybe these two aren't so healthy, 
maybe teams know James Cook is a problem, so now they're going to start building defensive game plans around some of the wheel routes and some of the running stretch runs and things that Cook has been really effective at recently. We have other guys who are stepping up and making plays. Dalton Kincaid, clearly the second most explosive pass catcher that we have. That's it. Bar none. Like Gabe Davis, is, I'm not trashing Gabe. What I'm saying is, is in terms of the matchups that you can get and then the plays you can make off those matchups, Dalton Kincaid is our number two now, at least in my eyes. Finished fifth in the league this week with 9.6 yards after the catch. And for the season, he's third on the team in yards after the catch and just in general. That big catch and run against Kyle Duggar. Kyle Duggar was drafted as early as he was because he's this rare specimen who's the size. He's a safety who's the size of a linebacker, but has the speed and physicality to play multiple positions in the secondary of the linebacker core. <clears throat> so when he pressed him at the line of scrimmage on that big catch and run, it wasn't close. Duggar was never going to catch him. Like in the moment, in phase, he was never going to be able to get him covered again. <clears throat> That alone, right? That's how damn good of an athlete he is at tight end. What I love about this is that literally here I am sitting in the stands of the game telling the guy sitting in front of us, we're having a conversation about things, and I go, Josh just can't lead receivers today. Like, <clears throat> he's throwing with no anticipation. He can't lead a receiver to open ground. It's going to be a long fucking day. Immediately after it comes out of my mouth, he throws that pass to Kincaid. And they take it right out of the Chris, is anybody a better horse's ass than me? You are a horse's ass. I think I'm a horse's ass horse's ass. Yeah. Shakir. Can we talk about this? Shakir is slowly becoming this reliable thing for our offense. He's a chain mover, if anything else. And you need some of that. And you're going to need more of it. He has that catch and run for a touchdown against the Jets. Obviously, we know he's fast. That's why you drafted him. But on a day when the Bills offense really struggled with continuity, Shakir was clutch every single time he was targeted by Josh Allen. What I think is surprising is it's not, it's not the first time he's done it. Just last week against the Chargers. Shakir posted three first down catches on three touches. Probably most notably the one that he caught to ice the game, or at least allow the kicker to run, allow our team to run the clock out and kick a game winning field goal. I think that Shakir moving forward, when you think about a team like Miami, when you talk about, hey, we might be a playoff team. Who are you going to get as your third target, right? Fourth. You're talking about Khalil Shakir being the fourth best target on the field, but one of your most consistent chain movers. One of your most consistent in terms of getting open. I think that focusing on him is going to be, it's going to have to become something that's built into our offense moving forward. I'm hoping that these back-to-back -back solid performances in this way Josh notices this. Brady notices this. And they make a concerted effort to make Shakira part of the game plan. 
Because you're going to go up against teams that see Stefan Diggs, who's clearly fighting something, who sees a Gabe Davis, and they've, they've seen that. Every one of them has seen that Chiefs game. <laughs> so they let him get behind him, and he just, what, four touchdowns in that game? Something like that. They know that the boundary wide receivers for the Bills have to be kept in check. But, oh, by the way, this Dalton Kincaid kid is really good. So all of our defensive game planning is going to go into stopping these things now. Well, this is one more weapon that's proving to you week over week that you can rely on him. Last year in the playoffs, he dropped a crucial pass for you in the Dolphins game. He's so far removed from where he was at that point in his career that I think you can start to trust this kid in spots that you didn't otherwise. And I'm excited to see what the offense looks like with him out there. I think that his target share should absolutely see an uptick. I think we should start designing more plays to get Shakir the ball, considering the favorable matchups he's going to get compared to everybody else in the offense. And I I guess I praise these guys because I look around at the rest of the non-starter skill players, and holy shit. I mean, Murray. Latavius Murray has one of the more egregious drops I've seen by a Bills player all season. Like, this is just a simple, hey, look it into your hands and cut a field. You've got an easy first down. Oh, you dropped it. Awesome. Oh, and he had one rush for no yards. Trent Sherfield. Three targets, one catch for negative four yards. <laughs> now, there was one play where he would he looked open, and Jonathan Jones made a really good play to bat the ball away. Noted. But still three targets, one catch for negative four yards. Like he he's even getting more snaps now because of the dig situation. How about Deontay Hardy, Chris? Do you, when that when that guy got signed, he got was him. he was supposed to be something, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah? Three offensive snaps, zero targets, two punt returns for eighteen total yards. He's now worse than McKenzie. Because he's getting paid more money than McKenzie ever did. You you can't sell me on the idea of Deontay Hardy if he's making exponentially more money than the guy he replaced, but not replacing his production. Like, all you're doing is replicating his production. Like, all he needs to do is trip over a goal line in the red zone for me, and he'll be Isaiah McKenzie 2.0. Why do we have to have like the highest paid punt returner, kick returner, highest paid gunner, highest paid special teams specialist Tyler Matikevich. I why are we allocating Because you have a head money coach who somehow thinks to these this areas. Because you have a fucking head coach who thinks that this shit's important. I he, it's it's killing me, guys. It's killing me. Deontay Hardy might as well be inactive at this point. I don't know what he, he's a punt returner. That's it. Chris, go to Spotrack and find out what his cap numbers are. Deontay Hardy, Spotrack. Give it a goog. All I can say is that everybody at the bottom of the step chart is wildly ineffective. <laughs> and so with that in mind, I'm glad that we're getting production out of guys like, and I mean, Knox might have had a nice day. He did take that one year whole shot and it was up and down. Chris, what's his dead cap number for next year? 
2024 1.375. Oh, yeah, he's definitely going to get cut. You have to cut him. You have to. You eat the 1.3, you definitely don't have a 5.3 cap number for a fucking punt returner who can't get targets in an offense like this. That's starving for plays. You can't get targets in an offense that doesn't have its number one wide receiver playing like a number one wide receiver who's just looking for someone to step up and make an explosive play down the field and that guy can't get snaps? That tells you everything you need to know. He has to be gone after this season. (sighs) On a positive note, the front seven is finally finding its groove. And our defense is back on the uptick. The Bills' front seven started this season on a tear, right? Weeks one through four. I got the numbers right here. One 200-yard passer near the top of the league in sacks. 11 turnovers forced, and no team had more than 20 first downs in a game. That's pretty impressive. Then comes that ridiculous Jaguars game. You know, between the Trey White injury at the end of the Miami game that rolled over to Jacksonville, which then we lost to Quan Jones and Matt Milano in the same game. And this incredible lull occurs that coincides with three of our six losses on the season. And even in the games we won, our defense wasn't great. During that time, we made Terrell Bernard the focal point of the defense and threw Tyrell Dodson out there. We're kind of experimenting with Taylor Rapp's usage, trying to figure out where is he a best fit for, what's his best role. We also signed Linville Joseph. Do you remember he started? He played in that Cincy game the week we signed him. Yeah. Signed him to take up for missing defensive tackle Daquan Jones. And the idea was that he would help reinvigorate Ed Oliver, who saw a dip in his pass rush win rate and saw more double teams than he previously had when Daquan Jones was healthy. Can you give me a Guggen week 17 inactives for the Bills? We also traded for cornerback Rasul Douglas. We traded for Douglas. Hamlin, Elam, Anderson, Joseph, Vaughn Miller. Yeah. So Linville Joseph, who had been getting us by, was inactive. But now we have some of the best depth at that position that we've had all season, wouldn't you say? Yeah. Okay. Puna Ford is finally playing kind of the way we thought he would when he first arrived here. You know, before the Chargers game, there was concern, and they said, well, don't worry, Puna Ford had a bad showing, but he's going to be ready. He he was ready. He did his job. I, I was excited to see that. I uh, You take a look at what we did. That trade for Rasul Douglas was kind of the cherry on top because you had to make up for your lack of depth at boundary cornerback. All of those in-season moves are finally bearing some fruit here. You look back at this New England game, Ed Oliver with his just sack, interception, two pressures, a tackle for loss. The interception was one of the most athletic plays I've seen from a D-tackle in a while. Terrell Bernard, 
He made history this week. And with it came in a game where he had five run stops, three tackles for loss, six pressures, two sacks, and three quarterback hurries. Showing that he's not only an off-ball linebacker who can play the run, and he can also cover in the passing game, but also you can use him now as a pass rusher. And that dynamic has been slowly increasing over the last month. All of a sudden, you're seeing Terrell Bernard used more as a blitzer because they now trust him. Hey, your assignments sound back here. Teams have tape on you just being this kind of guy who shifts around. Now we're going to start blitzing you. And you're doing that well, too. Douglas was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. Pair of interceptions, one for a pick six, and almost had a fumble return. But obviously, Elliott was down, so. There was no skill player, right? No skill player for the Patriots with more than 12 yards before contact total for the entire game. <laughs> That's embarrassing. We bullied the Patriots up front. And we had six tackles for losses of football team. The box score of this game will tell you that the front seven did really, really well in this one. But the defense is, hey, the defense was, I mean, Chris, the turnovers alone, right? Yeah. Okay. But then if you take a step back and you look at what's going on over the last month, remember how I opened this talking about the first four weeks? Mm Mm-hmm. Look at the last four weeks. Weeks 14 through 17. Seven turnovers. Only one 100-yard rushing performance as a team for one of our opponents. Just one passer with more than 200 yards. Twelve individual sacks between all of the quarterbacks involved. This team is coming out of that lull and they're starting to peak. And I think it's because of the additions. I think it's growth. And I think it's the addition of depth. You're starting to see the byproduct of that. And I love it. I mean, it's because we bullied them. On a day when our offense couldn't do anything, it didn't matter because their their offense was just. They almost never really had a prayer. I mean, Ch- Chad Ryland, he only got credited with Fuck one. Fuck that guy. He only got credited with one missed field goal. Technically, he should have had two. Yeah. They couldn't get in field goal range. When they did, he couldn't hit them. Like, we bullied them with this defense. And you are it's good to see your star players returning to that kind of form. Leonard Floyd's playing well. Ed Oliver's making splash plays all over the place. Rasul Douglas is kind of announcing himself as our number one cornerback, giving offensive coordinators something that they're going to have to be concerned about. Now they have to game plan around it. Getting Daquan Jones back is this giant boon for our defensive line because it allows you to take a guy like Linville Joseph and save him. You know, this is a this is a veteran veteran player. Depending on the team you play, you might like this in this game they put Puna Ford out over Linville Joseph, probably because I think they knew they needed a little bit more athleticism, a little more side to side. Also, Joseph's old. Now, I'd be interested, Chris, I'll be really, really interested to see who they go with on the defensive line this week against Miami. Because you're talking about a Dolphins team who's really struggled, you know, we're going to talk about it in this week's preview show, really struggled to throw the football consistently. 
And so they're probably going to try to lean on the run, especially as their offensive line gets healthier. I almost wonder if this isn't a game where you see Puna Ford benched for Linville Joseph when we rolled Daquan Jones and Linville to have two true one-techs, one who gives you a little bit of pass rush. But we have that option because he's here. I love it. I love the fact that, like, given the state of our linebacker core, given the state of all the things that have gone on with our secondary, this defensive line is going to be the backbone of what the defense is heading into this game and maybe even heading into the playoffs. And right now, I don't know that we've had a deeper, more talented defensive line under Sean McDermott. Is that a fair statement? I guess. I mean, Chris, it's so deep. I mean, we might as well get into it. Uh, This week's Hero and Zero, and this week I'm going to start with the Zero. And that's defensive end Von Miller. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. We're so deep that this Bills team can have an amazing day in the front seven with no Von Miller. One of your highest paid players is a game day inactive. <laughs> I almost think that he needs a meeting with the Bobs from Office Space. Yeah. What is it you say you do here? What do you do here, Vaughn? Vaughn, besides dressing nicely, what do you bring to this football team? And everyone goes, well, he's a v- veteran leadership, and it's this, and it's mentorship. Okay, then hire him as a coach. Get him the fuck off my salary cap and make him a coach. Is he done? Are you washed? If so, retire, and I will hire you to be one of my de- assistant defensive line coaches. The fact that this guy is not only not playing... Chris, on a day when our defense just held serve... For giant chunks of the game. We didn't need him. Now, some of that's a kudos to guys like... Uh, it, it's, it's a, I think it's a kudos to a guy like A.J. Epinesa. Who's shown that he is now... You know, he's, not, he's never going to be a star. But he's a solid 4-3 defensive end. He has grown into a player who's gone from being talked about being cut having a home on the roster, a job, a piece in the rotation. Meanwhile, you have this guy, Von Miller, who just... And I get it. Everyone's like, well, you know, he's so far... He's only so far removed from his ACL tear. Then why is he here? Why did you activate him off IR? He produces nothing at this point. I worry that he'll never get better. In which case, that... like. It was a gamble. It was a calculated gamble on Bean's part bringing him in. And it worked really well when he was healthy. Since his injury, that guy might as well literally not be here, and they just proved it this weekend. I, Chris, can we get... Google his Spotrack thing. When can we get out of that fucking deal? Because they restructured it this past offseason in order to create more camp space. Von Miller's Spotrack. I bet in I thought it was after next year that we can get out of that. Twenty twenty five. His dead cap is still fifteen million. Jesus Christ. 
we are in it, aren't we, Chris? Yeah. God, it's just such a, it's just such a pain in the ass. And then I see a game like this, and I look at Von Miller, who is a, Von Miller, who needed a, Chris, he didn't play this weekend, and needed a veteran rest day in practice today. Go fuck yourself. What are we talking about? Was he in Miami? I have no idea where he is. Wait, did he start the fire? <laughs> oh, there's so many jokes about sleeper cells and things I could make, but we're not going to do that. We have a little bit of class. We have a little bit. Either way, my zero of the week is defensive end Von Miller. My hero of the week, punter Sam Martin. Don't take it personally, all right? Franchise star players are a lot like Highlanders. There can only be one. Sam Martin. Yeah, it's it's weird because there's all these people, right? Rasul Douglas was the AFC Defensive Player of the Week. How is Sam Martin your hero of the game? Because Sam Martin made history this weekend as a punter. And that's rare, right? Chris, when's the last time you heard about a punter? Did you say six inside the 20? Six punts inside the 20. I don't know. Probably been a while. I don't know the record on that, but or who the last guy to do five was. I don't even know where to begin to look for that. If you look at it, if you just want to take it purely as someone who executed their job better than anybody else, anywhere, Sam Martin. Sam Martin had himself a day, and to be honest, the, the knowing what their dog shit offense was for New England, having a punter who was routinely pinning them back and forcing them to go 80-plus yards on every single drive probably won you this football game. I don't think that's a stretch to say, is it, Chris? No. The fact that you gave your defense as many plays as possible to force negative plays and eventually turn this thing around maybe is the reason you want it. I I mean, and for those of you watching on YouTube, these pictures that you're seeing of Sam Martin, here's what I love. When I Googled Sam Martin punter, he not only, right, not only, like he, he's also, not, not only is he the best punter in the NFL this week, Maybe the most efficient player at his job specifically on the Buffalo Bills this week. I googled his name to find a photo of him just as like a throwaway for the all tube. And what I found is that he did a pro, he did like a promotional thing when he played for the Lions for a hair restoration clinic. <laughs> Apparently he was going bald very early in life. And went to this hair restoration clinic and uh, like with one of those trade off deals where they're like, hey, NFL punter Sam Martin is a is a client. Look at his progress. I'm not gonna lie, Chris, he's got some nice salad there. That second photo. Yeah, he does. Different color, but <laughs> I mean it's listen, it's Detroit. Right? Yeah. It's Detroit. We're not asking for miracles here. The guy has a full head of hair. That is almost more impressive to me than the punting job, is the fact that he somehow pulled off like a permanent rug. Like, he got reupholstered and somehow pulled it off. It looks natural. What happens? Chris, would you ever be that guy 
who gets hair plugs? No. I don't care so much. Like, I don't think I would, but that's because I'm just like, you know what? Maybe I would. Right? Because realistically, look at my hair. It's round. It's flat. It's like a fucking Lego character. Like those Lego people. Like it just pops on there. Yeah. You haven't (laughs) changed your haircut ever. No, because I only have two. I only have two modes. It's either short and it just kind of falls this way. I don't even I don't even brush or comb my hair. It just does this after my shower every day and I walk around. Or it afros the fuck out. I have photos of myself from college where I could see my hair in my peripherals. It was one of the cra- and I I still remember my dad's first reaction when he I remember coming home from college. I went that whole first semester without getting a haircut and I hadn't gotten it cut over the summer. I think he thought I was going to be more proactive about, like, self-care, you know, the whole thing. I walk through the door, and he sees my haircut and just goes, my just giant afro, and just shakes his head. He's like, no. It's like the guy from Happy Gilmore. Just no. No. The next day, he's like, we're going to, we're going to the barbershop. You're cutting the shit off. I can't have you walking around here looking like that. And he was right. And Chris, can you tell me I I probably look atrocious with an afro? Yeah, like you, like Lionel Richie, with with awful teeth. Oh, I thought we the general consensus is you as uh, the Rock in that movie where he was fat. Central Intelligence. Yes, I look exactly like that when I was that age. It's hilarious. So I guess the thing is, if I were to start losing my hair. I would probably have to replace it because I can't be bald. Two reasons. Like, I'm not vain, but my head, you guys might not be able to see this on the camera. I have loose skin on the top of my head. And if I cut my hair too short, you can see it and it looks like a brain. I look like a Sharpay. (laughs) I look like a Sharpay if you were to cut my hair too short. I can't be bald. I don't have a skull for that. Also... I like this. I like the no maintenance, no fuss, just bump Lego hair. I like it. Maintenance free, Chris, as I watch you put fucking Dapper Dan. Dapper Dan in your hair. You don't even know that reference, do you? No. No, of course you don't. Uncultured swine. But good for Sam Martin for uh, beating Mel Pattern Baldness and good for him for making history, being one of the most effective punters on any given Sunday. Chris, your final thoughts as we wrap this beast up. Simple. That was a uh, look-ahead game. I think we didn't uh, we didn't play uh, within the right mindset because we were looking forward to Miami. It's funny because they, you know, they uh, when we were at the game, they didn't put the score on the scoreboard for the Miami game. But uh, love getting a win against Belichick. Hopefully, that's the last time we see his stupid ass. For me, I want to say this. It's easy to nitpick. It's easy to, like you said, oh, they looked ahead. They did this. This went wrong. Our offense wasn't great. Our average... League average pressure on Josh Allen, but he only completed two of eight passes under pressure for 14 yards while throwing a pick and getting sacked. That's gross. It's not where you want to be as a football team. But we won. We won the game. 
I can't rem like I can remember. Here's what I remember. I remember the day when that kind of quarterback performance was a fucking death knell for this team. Right? Like at the end of a game when things would get tight, we would watch like a Bills offense that started the game. Like When you think back through history, Chris, in the drought era, we would beg for the type of performance we got out of the Bills this Sunday. We would have killed for that. True or false? Oh, yeah. When things got tight down the stretch, we watched a Bills offense that was struggling for most of the day. Put on a clinic just to move chains, bleed clock, and get the hell out of there. The Patriots make it a six-point game. And then they have a three and out, and they never get to touch the ball again. Allen and company run the final five minutes and six seconds off the clock. You never get to touch this thing again. When people think about the term killer instinct, a lot of times it gets wrapped up in the context of... You go for it on fourth and two because you're on the 40 and the numbers say and the analytics say, and if you don't do this, you're not being aggressive enough or aggressive play calls in the red zone that will get you touchdowns rather than settling for a field goal. Killer instinct often gets like that's how it's defined in the minds of a lot of football fans. I want you guys to make no mistake that the types of drives that we saw at the end of that football game to bleed that clock out. That's killer instinct, right? Like with all the pressure of what's at stake, if you don't execute this, the knowledge that you're in a one score football game. So your margin for error is razor thin to know that, Hey, we're going to go out there and we're going to make a bunch of plays. We're going to drive. We're going to, we're going to steal plays from them. We're going to bait them into mistakes. And even though they're not splash plays, we're not throwing 80-yard touchdown passes. We're not bullying them down the field with our running game. Nope, but we will move the chains. And we'll keep that clock moving. And like an anaconda, we're just going to squeeze you to death until it's over. There's something to having that level of execution that I think deserves a lot of credit. Because... I can think about, like, Chris, go back over the years, the g- games against the Ravens, pre-Josh Allen, where we would just, like, you'd keep, I, can, I can think of the one that I traveled to, where it was Ryan Fitzpatrick against the Ravens, took him to overtime, but eventually he fucking fold. The Patriots on Monday Night Football with Leo, Leotis McKelvin fumbling out of the end zone. The Cowboys in Monday Night Football. Going up against other teams who were just more composed, who had talent, who would just rise up in critical moments and embarrass us in front of everybody. I mean, I remember after that Cowboys game, my friend Neil drunkenly punched out my taillight. He thought my car was his. We were leaving, we were leaving the Monday Night Football game. T.O. catches the ball. Cowboys kick the game-winning field goal as time expires. It's anarchy. 
Bills fans are just the most dejected versions of themselves. Get to the lot. My friend's been out there for hours. And he has a driver who's been in the game with me who's going to take him home. And he winds up and just, he just goes, I can't take it anymore. And just punches what he thinks is his car and just shatters my taillight with his bare hand. And I'm like, what the fuck? He goes, a moment of sobriety just over his face. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I thought that was mine. And I'm like, why would you punch your own taillight? Why would you put, you have to drive home. Why would you be punching any taillights? That's the place that we used to get dragged to. That's the level of hell we used to get taken to by inept Bills offenses who couldn't execute and had no killer instinct. In this game, the Bills found it. They found a way to say, look, I know what I need, and I'm going to go out there and execute and execute and execute. And that's what it's going to take to keep winning. That's the world we used to live in. World of broken taillights, broken dreams, broken morale after terrible losses. Today we live in a world where even ugly days for our quarterback and our best skill players aren't enough unless our opponent is a really, really quality football team and they can find a way to out-execute the worst version of us. We should all feel better about that. I don't know. Those are just my thoughts. Chris, this has been a lot of fun. But we got to get the hell out of here. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. This has been your Rock Pile Report.